Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's Friday, January the 26th, and your Ben Jarofsky show starts now. Today on the show for Oh What a Week, Ben talks with his buddy from In These Times... Miles Comflossi. The Ben Jarofsky Show, a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, what's going on in politics, what's happening around town, events, things like that, you might want to head to ChicagoReader.com. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, you can find him there too. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J O R. A, V is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Friday, and here's why. Actually, it's over the week. Uh, Miles Conflassen has joined us uh, to discuss some of the big news items of the week. Uh, but I'm just smiling here at the uh, story that I just read uh, right before I, I hit the mic about a the city council meeting on Wednesday. So we'll talk about the city council meeting with uh, Miles. Lots lots of things happen in that city council meeting, uh, particularly on the uh, Gaza front. We'll get to that. I, I'm, I'm laughing because uh, Chicago politics is no joke. So the Johnny in question is John Kenzer is the head of the Fraternal Order of Police. Uh, this is, of course, uh, a law and order union. Uh, it supports uh, Donald Trump. Catanzaro uh, was the man who wore the T-shirt that uh, when he was before he was the head of the union, he wore a T-shirt talking about how much he loved Trump uh, and was willing to pay a price for it. He said that was his First Amendment protected right. So that's where he stands up for big time Trump lover. As I always point out, Trump never did anything for uh, anybody in the Fraternal Order Police in his four years as uh, president of the United States. I never saw any money uh, coming to the city of Chicago, additional money on top of whatever money the, city, the feds send to the city to help, I don't know, pay salaries of police officers, pay pensions of police officers, pay medical leaves of police officers. No, definitely nothing helping like uh, uh, getting uh, uh, mental health therapy for police officers. Nothing. Just a lot of rhetoric he threw at Chicago. On the other hand, Brandon Johnson comes from a movement, Mayor Brandon Johnson, that is, that there were some uh, people in that movement who were strongly urging for to defund the police. Remember that? Remember that that call and that cry in 2020 after a police officer uh, in uh, Minneapolis murdered uh, George Floyd? Anyway, so lo and behold, that movement uh, eventually elects Brandon Johnson, Mayor of the City of Chicago. Mayor Brandon Johnson is a product of a long-standing movement that comes from the left, whose roots are directly tied to the Chicago Teachers Union. Karen Lewis, shout out to you. One of the greatest leaders the city of Chicago has ever had. One of the first things he did in his first year in office was make sure that the police officers of Chicago got a raise. He gave the police officers of Chicago a raise. Mayor Brandon Johnson did. Stuck his neck out doing that. All right? Because I know there's a lot of people in that Brandon Johnson coalition who did not want to see their money going, more of their money going to the police officers of Chicago. But he did that. 
And what's the appreciation he gets from Johnny Catanzaro, the head of the Fraternal Order Police, who loves Donnie Trump, even though Donald Trump has never done anything concrete for a police officer in the city of Chicago? He's mad at Brandon Johnson. He called him a coward. This is the dumbest fight I've ever seen. It has to do with the convoluted issue of arbitration on police brutality cases, police misconduct cases. Catanzaro wants it to go to arbitration. State law seems to be on his side on that. It goes to arbitration, and then they don't have to. They get private hearings and the, uh, on the matter, and the, the transcripts aren't revealed. A dangerous thing to have in Chicago, given our history. Uh, and so Brandon Johnson's on the other side of that uh, and has pushed up for the city council uh, to call for open hearings uh, and um, with transcripts so people can follow them. We'll see what's going on. My guess is if this goes to the uh, courts, it, they'll side with uh, Kat and Sarah. That's my reading of the analysis that's been in all the newspapers. Uh, the law seems to favor Kat and Sarah's position on this. So it's kind of like, I don't know, theater. Like Brandon Johnson standing up for what he knows his supporters believe, for what he probably believes. Kat and Sarah knows that eventually he'll get what he wants. So you would think John Catanzaro would lower the rhetoric a little bit, but no. After yesterday's city council meeting, he's gone. Brandon Johnson, a coward. I didn't hear you call him a coward when he stood up for police officers getting a raise. I didn't see you call him a coward then. Man, people have small memories of town in this town. Catanzaro, you're going to get pretty much everything you want. I don't know why you're so mad at Brandon Johnson, why you're hating on Brandon Johnson. Should be endorsing him. He's probably the best friend just a rank-and-file police officer has ever had, at least in this decade, or century, I should say. Right, enough of that. Miles Kempflesson is joining me. Uh, Miles, do you have any thoughts on my opening riff before we uh, – well, wait, hold on. I've not done a proper introduction. I got so fired off my opening riff. Miles Kempflesson, excellent editor-writer in these times, uh, dear friend of this show. Uh, and very popular guest, I might add, Miles. You got your fans out there. Um, so thank you for returning there. That's a proper introduction. Uh, now let's get down to business, Miles. Uh, do you have any op uh, thoughts on my opening uh, rant uh, before we move on to uh, the Gaza resolution? Well, the, the city of Chicago remains, you know, under a consent decree, federal consent decree, because of uh, police abuses that have been widely, you know, re re recorded. And the city's paying out millions of dollars, you know, in these wrongful abuse cases because of police officers that have violated the law and people's, you know, federal rights. And so I think there's no doubt that there needs to be more enforcement and more oversight over uh, these issues. And that's part of the reason for this, you know, arbitration being separated from the contract. There's a lot of questions about how, you know, how that would work. But um, I don't, I mean, that the, these are cases of justice, right? Not about like labor rights. These are about human rights and, and, and treating people with um, dignity and respect. And so I think that that is something to keep in mind. And Kat Nazar has certainly shown himself to be somebody who does not care about people's dignity or respect during his uh, time heading the, um, the FOP in Chicago. There's no doubt about that. So uh, I'm not shocked that he would uh, call Mayor Johnson a coward, but I also don't think he has tons of sway um, in the city at this stage. 
I, I just, the, the theatrics of it, um, you know, people are always saying, uh, liberals are always saying, why can't the left move toward the center? And then I don't think everybody ever says, why can't the right move to the left a little bit? So just in this, what this is the thing that many things irritate me about this uh, particular uh, theater, political theater, uh, Miles, but I keep hating this one. It's like John Cantanzara and the Fraternal Order Police seem determined just to lock themselves to the MAGA movement, even after Brandon Johnson and progressive Democrats or lefty Democrats or whatever you want to call them gave them a raise. They can't even acknowledge like that basic fundamental fact that the lefties were more generous to them than the centrists or the right. You know what I'm saying? It's like they just cling to it. It's like I know these retired cops. I know a few of them. I'm not going to name them uh, who took their pensions and went down to Florida and they love DeSantis who I, do the Republicans even believe in pensions for anybody? You got what I'm all these dummies in Chicago. We keep paying our money into the pension fund. I support the pension fund, Miles. I know you do too as well. But uh, like, how could you be for right wing MAGA types and uh, still want a pension? Because I don't, I don't know any right wing MAGA types that for uh, pensions. Do you follow what I'm saying, Miles? Just to well, Florida, you stuff. should say Florida has, you know, one of the worst tax regimes in, in the country in terms of the discrepancy between what, you know, the wealthy and lower income pay as a percentage of their income. Also, it's a virulently anti-union state because of all the uh, policies that uh, DeSantis has put in place. And they lo- rank, you know, some of the lowest in terms of health care, you know, in terms of uh, spending on teachers, you know, it's, it, all, in all these ways, you know, for the um, public sector jobs, it's much worse to be um, in Florida. And I'm sure that's true when it comes to retirement and pension uh, incomes as well. So I'm sure there's some hypocrisy there. They might like some of the culture war stuff he's doing down there. But I think his complete flame out in the Republican primary shows that, at least on a national stage, that the whole DeSantis program of like, you know, basic like fascism light mixed with, uh, you know, pandering to free market fundamentalism is not selling uh, at a national scale. All right, let's uh, uh, move this uh, back to Chicago and talk about the resolution that Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez uh, proposed. Uh, It's been postponed for vote, I think, for another week. Uh, And uh, it's like Chicago diplomacy in a way. And uh, on this issue, very contentious issue. And I just point out in these times coverage, extensive uh covered miles doesn't write these stories but he I, you, I i presume you edit a bunch of them and you definitely read them all exhaustive coverage like you probably would not get out of mainstream uh journalism to put it mildly on what's going on in gaza so uh for a different perspective i urge everybody to read in these times all right miles um so yesterday uh brandon johnson on wednesday brandon johnson gave a statement uh essentially supporting uh, Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez's uh, resolution. Uh, and then he went a little further as a dec- declaration of support in the most general way for liberation of Palestinian people uh, and linking it uh, to the black liberation movement in this country, which is probably as far uh, in support of Palestinian rights uh, that I can think of. Definitely any um, uh, 
citywide politician has made, probably any statewide politician. I'm really searching my brain here. Uh, so uh, your thoughts on how this is playing out, the local uh, sort of the, the, how this is playing out as a, uh, on the local level? Well, I'm not aware of any um, Chicago-wide polls around uh, this issue, specifically um, the ceasefire. But if you look um, nationally, uh, majorities, you know, of, of uh, Americans say that they want to see it, a ceasefire and an end to the violence in Gaza. You know, at this point, we've seen the murder of um, more than 25,000 Palestinians, likely much, much more because there's, you know, mountains of rubble across large stretches of the enclave and likely more um, bodies underneath. We're seeing just, you know, this week there's targeting of UN facilities by the Israeli war machine. We've seen hospitals being uh, surrounded and people not being able to to leave in Kanyunis in the exact same places that people were told to flee to. More than 80% of the population is is displaced. It's a humanitarian disaster. It's the worst humanitarian disaster in the world right now that's going on in Gaza. And it's being done because an assault is being carried out. And these calls for peace are to end the bloodshed and to work towards a nonviolent resolution, a diplomatic resolution to um, this conflict that will save remaining lives of Palestinians. And I think that that is the, um, you know, that, that, that was the motivation for the mayor to come out and say, we need an end to this violence and we need a ceasefire. I don't think, I was surprised, um, frankly, to see him come out and say that um, forcefully before this vote happens. But I think it is reflective of what wide swaths of this city believe, you know, that people want peace and they want um, justice for um, people that are under siege, under occupation. And I think you saw that reflected in what happened at city council, where there were crowds and crowds of people coming in, flooding city hall, um, you know, overwhelming the viewership area and had to go into the lobby of city hall, all calling for a ceasefire and for justice in Palestine. And, you know, you can compare that to, you know, the recent raucous meetings that have happened around the, um, overturning the city sanctuary status where you saw, you know, paid protesters and provocateurs being moved in, not to say there wasn't legitimate, you know, anger over, over that issue as well. And then, you know, what the migrant issue was caused, but I think this was a real honest reflection of where people in Chicago stand. And I think that that will likely be reflected in a city council vote. I mean, understandably there was, apprehension around the timing of it. Um, I think that, you know, you saw a lot of Jewish-led groups in the city come out and say they didn't want to see this vote rescheduled. They wanted to see it happen this week. If you look at groups like Jewish Voice for Peace, and if not now, you know, Jewish-led groups um, and local chapters, they wanted to see it happen. But a group of 28 aldermen um, requested that it be pushed in on, uh, to, you know, honor Holocaust Remembrance Day and so it's, you know, it's being moved forward. But I think that they're going to come up with some type of compromise language that will be able to pass. And if that happens, Chicago will be the largest city in the country to have endorsed a ceasefire resolution. And it might seem symbolic, but I do think that at a time when we're seeing this type of bloodshed um, across the world, and specifically when we're seeing our tax dollars fund it, because, you know, U.S. Um, as an annual military a budget of $3.8 billion it sends to Israel um, each year. That means that we are, you know, implicated in this. This is part of 
um, we play a role and a, and a very unique role. Um, it's not just that. I mean, if you look at the American, you know, workers as well, the people that work at Caterpillar plants, for example, like there's a Caterpillar plant in Peoria, Illinois, those same bulldozers that are being built there are the ones being used to crush tents and refugee camps. So I think people have, you know, a relationship to this conflict overseas, even if they don't see it directly in their everyday lives. Um, and I think we're going to see that reflected in how, hopefully we'll see that reflected in how older people vote on this resolution when it comes up. I'm going to uh, push back a little bit on something what you say and get your response to it. Uh, and um, I'm not certain that I would ever call the people uh, who showed up to um, have to say this exactly right. Cause I don't look like, I, I want to make it clear. I'm not on their side. Uh, I'm, we don't share the same view and this is so obvious what I'm about to say, but the reaction against immigrants in this city I don't think I would uh, reduce that uh, to uh, provocateurs or um, political uh, stooges. I think that there is people in their hearts are against this. And that's what upsets me the most about where how Chicago has reacted to the, uh, the migrant. Uh, I don't even call it a crisis, Miles. I call it an opportunity. And whenever I say that, people laugh at me. Uh, city has lost hundreds of thousands of people over the last 20 years. So we have what 20,000 show up. Is that what the number is tops? And it's just blowing Chicago's little brain. Can't handle it. We can handle Amazon. We can't handle this. We're getting ready to build the white Sox a new stadium. We can't handle this. You know, the bears, wherever you want bears, you can go anywhere. We'll build you whatever you want. We can't handle this. Oh, democratic convention comes to Chicago. We can't handle this. I've seen crowds. The, I couldn't fill the promontory, Miles. I brought, you were there that night. I brought Brandon Johnson to the promontory. We got, I don't know. I love the people that came and showed up. God bless everyone. We got by 125. They got over 200 to show up to denounce moving immigrants to Hyde Park. I think it's pathetic. I think it's disgusting. I think that people's, their hearts are like this size. <laughs> Miles can see what I'm saying. And it does not reflect well on Chicago. And it, you could see it. Like when Jeanette Taylor came on the show, she talked about being older woman of the 20th ward. Uh, she talked about how the city is dropping the ball on affordable housing as an issue citywide. And that enables uh, folks to like uh, pensions to inflame the black and Latino uh, communities. So I think this is a very important, powerful issue. Just today, Brandon Johnson said to, Called on Pritzker, put shelters in other cities in Illinois. We don't, subtext, we don't want them in Chicago. And so the cynic in me believes that the further away an issue is from Chicago, the more Chicago will support it. That's the cynic in me that believes that. So I would love to hear your response to what I just said. I, I, I feel this is one of the darkest chapters in, in uh, Chicago history, this, the way we responded to this so-called uh, immigrant crisis. Your response, go ahead. Well, these are there are deep-seated racial conflicts, but I do think we should um, also acknowledge that they're being stoked by people that have invested interest in trying to divide um, people, especially um, working-class people who might otherwise be rallying around progressive issues. And that's what I mean. It's not, it, it certainly doesn't mean to cast everybody who was at City Hall protesting against um, 
you know, the incoming migrants and the lack of equity that is um, righteously seen as, you know, occurring and has occurred under a number of different administrations, especially when it comes to providing housing and jobs and education and pathways out of poverty for Black residents in Chicago. At the same time, we've also have seen, you know, we've looked at, you know, Jim Daly pointed out there's a number of people that were in the hall um, during that, you know, debate over sanctuary city status who had been um, funded by uh, Dan Proft and people associated with Paul Vallis's campaign, you know, right-wing figures. I don't think that means that's representative of everybody, but I do think that that's something that we should, you know, pay attention to um, when it comes to how these things operate. And I think that some of that was at play when it came to the protests against Carlos Ramirez Rosa as well. A lot of those same individuals were the ones that were um, taking part in that. And I think that's part of, you know, how you stoke a conflict, how you create these divisions that then can become, Uh, more popular narratives when, in fact, what we should be seeking, I think you and I see eye to eye on this, is um, ways to overcome these divides and try to split the pie more evenly by, you know, redistributing wealth from the people that hold all the wealth and the power in the city that are largely, you know, corporate elites and rich white politicians, those who have benefited off of um, segregation and divisions in the city for so long. And that's a much harder task to accomplish because you can't see easy, easy villains, you know, right in front of our eyes. It requires like building mass movements and multiracial movements and overcoming longstanding divisions. And I think that that's what the proper focus should should be on. And I think that that's what's kind of inspiring about the movement around the ceasefires. You see people from all different backgrounds coming together to get behind this demand for peace. And I mean, I have been involved in protests around Palestine for many years in my life, and I've never seen this type of, I mean, I've never seen this type of bloodshed there as well, but I've also never seen the type of movement building and cross-generational, cross-cultural movement building around that issue as I have now. And so I, you know, I think that that's one area we can see a little bit more hope for this build uh, bridge building uh, across the city. All right, let's go back to that, uh, and uh, I'll pick up on, on what you were just saying. What, when I watch this, uh, I go back in time uh, to when I was really, really young, uh, and I was first started reading and, and following politics. It's like like nineteen sixty eight. Just just like let's pause and think of that. But the the movement against the war in Vietnam, uh, and it, this like in many ways, uh, what's happening right now on the issue of. Um, Israel's uh, war against Palestine in Gaza is just reminds me so much, uh, Miles, of the splits and divisions in 1968. And I come from a lefty background. So everybody in my world, everybody in, in little Benny's world was completely against the war in Vietnam. I don't, I, Miles, I don't think I knew anybody. I, mean, I had an uncle who was for it. He used to fight with my father all the time. Uh, and, but pretty much everybody I knew, like in my little universe, uh, was against uh, the war in Vietnam, and uh, and I watched um, as so many of the people in my little universe just d- uh, vowed that they were not going to vote for Hubert Humphrey in 1968. Follow me on this one, Miles, and then we'll lead into where I want to go with this. Uh, so Hubert Humphrey was uh, Lyndon Johnson's vice president uh, after Johnson stepped down, and Bobby Kennedy was killed. Uh, the Democrats nominated Hubert Humphrey to be their nominee. Uh, he was carrying the baggage, to put it mildly, of Johnson's 
a whole hard escalation of the war uh, in Vietnam. And he was running against Richard Nixon, who claimed to have uh, a secret plan in the war. Peace was at hand. No, I think that was 72. But he had a secret war, a secret plan in the war. Uh, and um, I know so many lefties who just vowed, we are not voting for Hubert Humphrey. We'll write in somebody, uh, we'll vote third party, or we just leave it blank and vote for a uh, uh, senator, congressman, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, that reminds me, Miles, of, that's, I hear that all the time. Uh, for many of my lefty friends here uh, in Chicago and across the country in regards to uh, President Biden uh, and his support of Netanyahu in Israel. Uh, so that's the parallel I draw. Uh, and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, um, the uh, impact uh, of on, the, on presidential politics of Biden's just supporting Netanyahu and Israel. Go. Well, it should be seen as a warning, I think, that if you want to, you know, get voters to come out to the polls, then you can't be uh, abetting a what's widely seen as a, a genocide that's going on. I mean, that's the, this week we're going to see the um, ICJ um, give a preliminary um, response in their hearing of a case brought by South Africa um, charging Israel with genocide. But regardless of how that ruling comes down, you know, multiple, many um, human rights organizations and international groups have deemed what's what's happening um, a genocide. And there's no doubt that Joe Biden has been a chief sponsor of, of it, both through providing military aid and cover at the U.N. by vetoing resolutions, as well as just by standing by Netanyahu and saying, you know, that what you, what you continue to see is that he'll telegraph that, oh, he's working behind the scenes and he's, you know, actually getting the Israeli military to lighten their assault on Gaza, but then you hear of new atrocities, you know, and so it kind of um, gives the lie to this whole um, fiction that somehow the U.S. is working to deter Israel from um, enacting this uh, uh, this carnage, when in fact this is, we are the main sponsor of it, not we as in, you know, individuals, but as um, a government, and that's, government is led by the Biden administration, and so I do think that, understandably, you're seeing uh, outrage towards that. You can just, for an example, we just uh, published a story on this, yes, uh, on Wednesday, the UAW, the United Auto Workers, officially endorsed President Biden, um, and they did that at their convention um, after um, exacting a number of concessions, or at least getting Biden to stand with them during their um, stand-up strike against the big three automakers last fall where, you know, he came to the picket line, he publicly said record profits should mean record contracts. Um, and he's been one, certainly one of the most pro-labor um, presidents, if not the most pro-labor of, um, of my lifetime, of a generation, uh, perhaps in history, in terms of his you know, NLRB appointments and the way he's promoting um, labor law. Um, despite all of that, at that uh, event where he was being endorsed, there were protests and people calling for a ceasefire and they got, you know, carried out of the hall um, throughout this 
past week, you've seen Biden give public addresses where he's getting um, screamed at um, by protesters who are demanding um, peace in Gaza and calling him out. This is this is going to follow him, you know, across the campaign trail, even in such a friendly places, you know, a, a labor hall where he's getting an endorsement. He's getting called out. This should really be a warning sign that this is um, a major um, issue that needs to be addressed. And it needs to be addressed by the United States changing its policy. They could, you know, multiple, even Israeli officials have said that if the United States stopped, you know, the spigot of, uh, of money and support that the war would end tomorrow, because that's what's allowing it to continue. If um, Biden just, you know, basically gave an ultimatum to um, Netanyahu's government, he could have a major effect on how this um, war is being carried out and how long it lasts. And they can have a major role in um, diplomatic uh, results that would allow for um, a ceasefire, that would hopefully allow for, you know, um, hostages to be released and um, those in Israeli jails to be um, released to Palestine. I mean, these things can happen, but they have to, uh, unfortunately, it seems like they have to be forced by the public getting involved. And that's the that's where... Um, we find ourselves. I do think that this is um, a lot of people have just decided they're single issue voters when the issue is genocide and that they're not going to vote for Biden under any circumstances. Um, but I think that there's plenty of ways in which they, you know, Biden and his team could change their approach and um, seek to at least, you know, um, get out of the box that they've set themselves up in where they're seen as aligned with this right wing military effort being carried out across uh, overseas. Yeah, I uh, uh, see that. Let's imagine Biden, uh, who a big listener of this show, uh, walked away from this conversation and said, I want to do what Miles said to do, and I'm going to do, I'm going to cut off the spigot. Uh, this kind of ties the two uh, topics of today we've t- discussed together. Uh it's not as though he's alone in the arena. The Republican Party exists. MAGA exists. And uh, I, I get a ceaseless flow of uh, MAGA emails on this issue um, in particular where they assail Biden as being uh, an enemy of Israel. I'm not making this up, Miles. I could show them too if you wanted to see them. Uh, and... Uh, so from a political standpoint, there would be a fallout politically in the midst of uh, an election. And that would, would have consequences in swing states. So from a political standpoint, there would be a fallout to doing uh, what he's saying. And I don't and then there would be a, re, a rebellion uh, in Congress and in the Senate against it. I don't think he'd get it through the Democrats and he definitely wouldn't get it through the Republicans. Um, the. Uh, what they call Christian Zionist movement in this country, which doesn't really get reported on a lot, Miles, is enormous impact uh, in the uh, Republican Party. Uh, and uh, so politically speaking, he is in a box. And just took look at look at Brandon, Mayor Johnson. Uh, Hamas slaughtered the Israelis on October 7th. Israel started slaughtering uh, Palestinians shortly thereafter. It's been going on for how many months? Three months? And Brandon, it took three months for Brandon to get to this point. Three months. Didn't, didn't the city kick out the, 
the um I'm getting my protesters mixed up. Didn't the city uh, evict the pro-Palestinian protesters the first time this uh, came, when uh, Rosanna Rodriguez's resolution came up last November? I want to say they did. And this time he didn't kick them out. So look at, the, it took him three months to reach this. And he's in a much safer position, politically speaking, than Biden. So I think that Biden... I hear what you're saying. I always want politicians to do the absolute right thing. And if folks are getting slaughtered uh, in the Middle East and our, our policies are uh, abetting that, you can, I, in my humble opinion, you, you, you should end that. I'm with you on that one. But I realize, uh, Miles, that it's one thing for me to say that in my microphone. It's another thing for me to be president of the United States and try to enact it because there's political realities uh, that exists. Go ahead. There, there are political realities, but there's political realities on both sides. The same way you talked about Humphrey, the same way people, you know, were chanting LBJ, how many kids you killed today? Like <clears throat> these things are, are, are happening now. And he's going to be, Biden is going to be dogged by it. And look at what's going on in Michigan. You know, he needs to win Michigan. There's a massive mu Muslim um, Arab population there. And he's underwater when it comes to, especially when voters of color, young voters, um, and that those those um, are uh, true across the country. Those kind of um, polling disparities, where he's he's running far far behind where he was in 2020. And these are the same communities that feel you know have expressed in polling that they feel extremely strongly about this issue. And so yeah, there's a calculus to it. And of course, there's you know it's going to be always pushback. But what I, I guess what I'm you know putting forward is that this is a time for politics, you know, and that for the, that he is what right now he is giving cover to the Netanyahu government as they carry out um, what's widely being seen as a genocide. And that there is massive influence that the U.S. government holds and especially the Biden administration holds over the Israeli government. And it doesn't involve having to actually, I mean, it, it, that should be a real threat to, you know, cut off funding, to condition military aid. Um, I think these things are important. But when it comes to the politics, that's more about, you know, having those conversations and threatening those things and saying this is the you know these are the consequences if you continue to carry these things out and we're not going to provide cover anymore we're not going to you know we're not going to stop vetoing these un resolutions right mm -hmm. i mean of course there would be some uproar around those things from certain segments and when you talk about you know christian zionism i mean that's basically Biden considers himself a Christian Zionist. You know, he's said multiple times he is a Zionist, even though he's not Jewish. And I think that that is, fits into part of the reason that he has been so steadfast in his support of Israel. But you can see in how they're, and how the administration has, is communicating things that they are, you know, seemingly being fed up with the amount of uh, horrific violence that is going on and how it's creating a stain on, on you know, what, on all the countries that are involved in backing Israel right now. And, the, and, and that's going to have, that's going to have consequences, right. Politically, as well as just like our international perception across the world right now, the U S is at one of its lowest points since the Iraq war, um, lower in some estimates. So, um, I mean, th this is really a deeply serious issue that I think that there, yes, there's, you know, there's always different, you know, 
areas you might win or lose support. But I think it's 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 vital that the Biden administration takes this issue extremely seriously and follows the public and where they're at, which is um, in favor of peace. And I think, you know, that's, it's back to Chicago. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's the same thing. I mean, we, this is a time to make a stand. You know, it would have been better three months ago, but this is where we are right now. And so, you know, this is where we have to um, work from. Yeah, no, I hear you. And politicians are like that. They uh, they sort of measure things, you know, check things, which way the wind's blowing uh, before they take that stand. You know, very few, th- th- uh, even a few that take the stand generally do so knowing, uh, Miles, that they're safe. It's safe for them to take the stand. Uh, so... Uh, I have not. I, I can't recall any elected official in the city of Chicago who comes close to saying what I say on the immigrant uh, situation, which is, please, uh, Governor Abbott, bring more immigrants to Chicago. For in, okay, you get what I'm saying. Uh, even the most lefty alderman in the city of Chicago is not saying that. So I understand exactly what you're saying, and you're right. You're absolutely correct. Like this could. I mean, the the international ramifications of. Uh, the war uh, in Gaza. I mean, every day there's, it seems like we're closer to some kind of major conflict. Uh, and by the way, I know you're going to uh, uh, paranoid and cynical, et cetera, but I've been watching these things for a long time. Richard Nixon sabotaged the peace talks that Johnson was having with the North Vietnamese in 1968. That's on the historical record, ladies and gentlemen, you can find it uh, very easily. 1980, Ronald Reagan, Candidate Ronald Reagan sabotaged the talks that Jimmy Carter uh, had uh, with Iran to get the hostages released. Okay, there's not as much evidence on that front as there is with Nixon in 68, but there's a considerable uh, pile of evidence that suggests that was going on, that he was through back channels reassuring uh, Iran that uh, they would get a better deal uh, once he was in office. And we saw that with Iran-Contra, by the way. Uh, uh, So it, I have... Miles, I do not, I don't think it's uh, impossible to put it, I'm just trying to phrase this as as non-nutty as I can, that Donald Trump is sending messages to Netanyahu, do what you want, because uh, this is going to enable me to get elected. And once I'm elected, green light, baby. Uh, And uh, so, yeah, it's it's a dangerous situation. And I would hope that Joe Biden just sort of figures out, you know what? If Brandon Johnson can do it, I can do it. Took Brandon three months, okay? <laughs> Took him three months. Well, because he doesn't need to call for it. You know, this is the thing. It's like, you, you know, he just needs to do Like, Biden is actually in a position of power, right, where he can influence world events and geopolitics. And it's to his favor in the same the same way you just said. I mean, we're carrying out, you know, these, these airstrikes in Yemen now against the Houthis around the Red Sea. This is basically like asking for a region, a, a wider regional conflict. There's similar strikes in Iraq and in Somalia. Like th- this is the type of conduct that you uh, carry out when you're basically inviting um, there to be open warfare. And when we consider the role of, you know, um, Iran in this conflict and the wider tensions that exist there between the, the U.S., this is an extremely perilous situation, right? And like that's not going to benefit uh, any of the actors involved, save for Netanyahu, because he's trying to save his political skin. He knows that the day that the war ends, he's you know going to be um, 
uh, kicked out of office and there's going to be a new government there. So his only play is to continue the war for as long as he can. And if Iran gets involved suddenly and it's Iran versus, you know, Israel conflict, then, you know, it's it's like, um, you know, total war. And he'll, you know, hopefully be able to, you know, in his estimation, be able to benefit politically from that and save his skin. But th- these are issues that should be wholly avoided. And Biden is in a unique position right now to um, to avoid them. So I think that that's that that should be um, something that's in the administration's mind at all times. All right. Let's stay uh, national before we come back close with Chicago uh, and uh, get your sense of uh, where the Republicans are going, the party of MAGA. Uh, as we speak this week, uh, Donald Trump won New Hampshire. He got about, I don't know, 54% of the vote, I want to say. 53. I, I haven't seen the final tally, 53-something, whatever. Um, I've had people on this show, uh, Miles, who've interpreted these numbers all kinds of different ways. Uh, Nikki Haley got like 46% of the vote, something like that. Uh, so your sense of... Uh, where MAGA is going, where the Republicans are, are heading as a party uh, as we begin the polit- this political year? Well, it's going wherever Trump wants it to go. He's, you know, he's the leader of the Republican Party, uh, the movement, the MAGA movement, um, however you want to call it. Um, and the, the nomination contest is over, effectively. I mean, the only re- reason Nikki Haley is staying in, I think, is to... Um, in case, you know, Trump croaks or somehow gets in, indicted and can't, you know, continue to run. I don't see that as a, a even remote possibility at this stage. And honestly, I think it would be beneficial for her politically and just in terms of her legacy not to get blown out in her home state of South Carolina. Um, so I bet that she will leave the race once soon before that um if not you know she'll just be embarrassed and likely lose by 20 30 points or something in her home state and then try to maybe carry it out until super tuesday and what will that do i mean in, in a way it just allows these republican donors to continue to throw their money away much like they did with ron DeSantis. i mean DeSantis spent 53 million dollars in iowa for like 2000 some votes that's like 2000 <laughs> like thousands of dollars for each vote and uh you know, flamed out that dude just did not have the juice. And yet these Republican um, donors and billionaire packs decided to throw their money away on it anyway. And the never Trumpers want somewhere to go. Right. But they were, if you see, they all fall in line, you know, um, maybe Christie won't, although I bet he'll come out with some, you know, milk toast endorsement of Trump at some point, but DeSantis definitely did. He immediately got in line and he was supposed to be the alternative, right? You remember there was this period right after the midterms in 2022 when it seemed like, you know, Jonathan Shader, I remember called it like a coronation for DeSantis because it was, Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) can never win. And it's this, this delusion when our ever since 2015, our national politics have all revolved around Donald Trump, right? He has been on the democratic side as well as the Republican side. He has been the center of gravity and everything is defined in terms of Trumpism. And, you know, DeSantis tried to be the Trump without being Trump. Um, but he is such a weird dude and 
like, you know, Android to just dig in on the culture war, which I think we should really say that that does not work on a national scale, you know, this war on wokeism. It's like, it's just a different form of policing, which is the same thing they're supposedly against, you know, it's like, oh, that you're using too much policing language, but then you're calling everything wokeism and these, you know, woke corporations and all this stuff. And I just don't think that really flies among, you know, voting masses of people. Whereas what Trump is offering is he says, I will be a retribution, right? Like he is running on revenge in 2024 and it's revenge for himself, but he's seeking to, you know, embody the resentments and frustrations and anger um, and angst of, uh, you know, large swaths of the population. And, but the way he says he's going to carry it out, I mean, he uses the term deep state, but basically he means he's going to go after the administrative state against, you know, regulators, against attorney generals, against um, any, you know, oversight mechanisms. He's going to, you know, destroy basically our uh, whole system of, yeah, of government regulation in order to, and hollow it out in order to have just pure authoritarian control. And like, that's, that's an authoritarian movement right there. But when you can run on this cult of personality as he's doing you can get people behind it because they think, Oh, well, at least this guy sees how screwed up the system is, you know, and he's willing to, um, to call it out. Nikki Haley is not really doing that. I mean, Nikki Haley, the difference is on a policy standpoint, at least, she's basically running to the right, right? She's like considered a moderate, but she's talking about raising the retirement age. She's talking about, you know, um, all these kind of cuts to entitlements and things like that, that Trump has wisely stayed away from, right? He's, he's trying to run as the more, you know, moderate, if not liberal person when it comes to a lot of these um, economic issues, though we know, and he, he, what he also says is he's going to, you know, have a trade war with China, basically, and that's all that's going to do is uh, increase inflation and lead to, you know, hurting working people. He's definitely going to wipe out all the gains made in the NLRB and the Department of Labor and put some crazy pro-business people in charge there, and um, and his immigration. Uh, policies where he wants basically mass deportation is what he's running on is is fascistic. I mean, that's basically just saying we're going to, you know, it's, it's just running on racial resentment, right? It's like we, we want to take our country back because we want to be a white country. But all these things downstream will have horrible negative effects on working people. So I don't actually think Trump is, is offering anything. But when you see these other Republicans that are trying to be Trump light, they often try to run to his right to think that that's going to benefit them. And in some ways it does because the media likes these anti-Trump figures because they don't have the same type of personality. And yet, and so they're seen as more moderate when in fact their policy is like with somebody like DeSantis, look at the, all the, you know, anti-protest laws he passed in Florida. Look at the anti-gay and trans bills he's passed in Florida. Look at, you know, the anti-union stuff. Like these are, these are really deeply right-wing figures. And yet they're seen as somehow like not as, bad as Trump because Trump's, you know, clearly is not going to accept defeat in an election, whereas like the consideration is, oh, maybe they will. Well, that involves changing like how our political structures operate. It doesn't mean elevating these other right wingers and like in our media and, you know, confusing people to think that some of these people have these different politics than what they say that they have. So to answer your question, I mean, I think that the MAGA movement is running in a deeply dark right wing direction and that we should be more um, scared than ever about the future that lays ahead after 2024. And it's all the more reason to make sure that the right does not 
uh, regain power at the White House. Damn, what a riff. That was. <laughs> I was taking notes on that thing. Ladies and gentlemen, he did that off the top of his head. That was really well done, Miles. I, I was nodding along. Uh, if I had a pushback on anything, uh, I mean, yes, Trump is more of an authoritarian, uh, I believe, than Nikki Haley. So I, I and it, it's not much, but it's something. Uh, in terms of Ron DeSantis, I'm not certain. Ron, De, Ron DeSantis, your your analysis of him was spot on. Uh, but I I I look. I watched Giuliani flip. There's a certain kind of personality. Um, they love the power. They don't want to give it up. So remember, uh, nine, right after 9-11, Giuliani, it was, they had term limits in New York. Remember the right wing pushed term limits in New York? And all of a sudden, Giuliani was for term limits because, you know, I figured that would be the only way to get Democrats out in New York. Suddenly, he was against it. What we need, we got to suspend the term limit law because, you know, we're this is a serious m- moment in life in our existence. We need me as mayor. Remember that? Threw that out. So, like, they get that power. They don't want to give it up. Bloomberg, same way. Remember, he did get rid of it temporarily. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if DeSantis tries to do something, too, right? Because they, they're they're term limited to yes. two terms, the governor's down there, and he's clearly screwed himself up on a national scale. I mean, what's he going to go back to his house seat or something? I think if he wants a political, and much like Bloomberg, he was willing to spend thousands of dollars for single votes in an election he was, like, destined to lose, you know, yeah. burning up money. Um, so maybe DeSantis will try to do that to stay around in Florida. Yeah, but Trump just like cut these guys off out there. I mean, I've, what a force this guy has been politically. We and I had this. Uh, I was I can't, I can't remember which the guess was, uh, where I had to acknowledge that. I mean, well, I don't think I'm guilty of this, but definitely people in the in the uh, the left and the center are underestimating Trump consistently, uh, and just the way he just uh, cut off DeSantis at the knees. And and now the, the the twisted game he's playing against Nikki Haley with her name uh, and uh, just letting everybody know that she's uh, her heritage, you know, let's let get that out there. Uh, and you're right. Uh, when this election is over, she will join the, the rest of them and bowing down to him. Now, I'll push back on a couple things. We'll get a bet here. All right, that February, I will push back on this. Uh, this is so minor. The South Carolina primary is February 24th. Did you predict that Nikki Haley was going to drop out before February 20th? Was that a Miles Conflossum prediction? I think she'd be smart, too, because I think she's going to get completely hammered. And, you know, Kamala Harris did. She she stayed through California and got completely clobbered by Bernie Sanders. Um, and it was after that that she she dropped out. I don't think that Nikki Haley wants to go through that. And I would guess if she, if the polls are showing her down like 20, 30 points, that she packs it up and gets out of there. If she do, if she doesn't, I don't really understand what the goal is. Right? Then it's just to be you know humiliated and then and then leave. Well, I, I don't yeah. I don't know what her calculation. The is. David Ferris uh, line of argument is for what it's worth. Another guess in this show. Uh, is that um, she'll, she's sticking around. <laughs> David is a funny man. She's sticking around paraphrasing it because, one, there's a slight chance, very slight, 
let me emphasize slight chance that the Supremes will bounce Trump from the ballot. Remember, the Colorado case is still there. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen in a million years, but whatever, there's a slight chance. Uh, and then there's also, uh, and this is the fatalistic thing, uh, that Donald Trump, you know, he's 77 years old in bad shape. So there's that. Okay. Uh, and uh, in fact, Nikki Haley, uh, she said and on, on, on um, election night, she pretty much said uh, she played that uh, dog whistle. Okay. So she said, if you nominate Trump, I'm doing this as uh, off of memory here. If you nominate Trump, uh, Biden will win the election. Uh, and Kamala Harris will be the president. And what she was saying is that uh, Joe Biden's an old man. He's going to die. And Kamala Harris will then become president. And so to your, that that's like so twisted and weird right there. Like she knows MAGA's more uh, hate, hates the thought of a Kamala Harris presidency, which is so twisted and weird and just MAGA. You are a weird political movement. Like, why? You know what I'm saying? Let's 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 unpack that massive psychic suitcase. Uh, so um, my guess is that uh, I would take that bet with you, Miles. She is not going to drop out uh, uh, before February 24th. Uh, and I have the restaurant I want to uh, go to if I win that bet. Uh, you willing to make that bet with me right now? Um, sure. Although I don't really have too much skin in the game. I mean, the, here's my, the skin. Of my, I, I think this was the one good thing about this election was these Republican primaries. So I'm sad about all this because seeing them, you know, fight back and forth and the new levels of absurdity they would all come up with <laughs> yeah. has just been one of the more like enjoyable things and seeing, you know, Ron DeSantis try to go with these absurd, like internet obsessed griper videos where he's like calling himself a chat and all this stuff. Like that was like slightly entertaining and then especially to see trump going after uh all of them um and yet we're gonna be now we're gonna we're gonna lose that right and it's gonna be the longest general election of our lifetime oh, basically God. already is a general election from now and through november and between these you know two candidates that are you know both so of their age wow. and not they they don't necessarily have the juice either i mean i you know trump sometimes shows some sides but then you saw he made that screw up about nikki haley supposedly being in charge of security on january 6th when he was maybe meant nancy pelosi but he kept saying nikki haley but even that didn't really make sense and it's like he's losing it too a little bit you know he a little bit he a little bit <laughs> miles you know what this proves uh you don't even have to speak in a coherent set this is by i always said this about daily your daily, not the old daily, the daily that you grew up with. Uh, I always said the daily proved that voters do not care at all about whether their leader is quote unquote articulate. And uh, I used to get a kick out of the way I still make fun of them. North, North side liberals would try to convince me how brilliant daily was, you know, Oh my God, Ben, if you ever had a private meeting with them, He's so well-read. He's so he's so brilliant. He, okay. He's like Noam Chomsky, I guess, behind the scenes. But I watched Daly come out and stumble and stutter. And we, who knows? You can guess what he's trying to get at. You know what I'm Didn't saying? Like weirdly uh, threaten to violate your uh, ex-colleague, yeah. McDuffie. Yeah. My, yeah, to this day, we're not quite sure exactly what he was threatening to do to Mick. You know, and we just knew he was threatening Mick. 
a weird twisted dude. And after he did that to Mick, I think he was elected with a re another resounding victory. So the people in the city of Chicago established, they were MAGA before MAGA. MAGA's to dedicate itself to a lunatic who we're not even certain what he's saying anytime he's saying it. It's open to interpretation. So after he says something outrageous, they think, oh, he was just being funny. You know how they do that, that little spin after, I'm going to lock everybody up. He was just joking, you know. So they don't, they couldn't even tell you what he's saying, but they just nod their heads. So that just sort of underscores, I think, the, the, the madness of where MAGA is right now. Uh, Donald Trump is incoherent. Let's just call it for what it is. He's incoherent. Uh, and if there's a debate between Trump and Biden, oh, my God, Miles, oh, God. Oh, Lord. It just. My recommendation to Biden is don't even debate him. I mean, he didn't. Well, maybe Trump won't even debate him. I mean, it's, he didn't do any of the debates this year, and it worked out great for him. He yeah, didn't hardly even went to Iowa, and he trounced everybody. No, I, I, I kind of. Part of me likes it in a weird way. I know in a weird, twisted way. It's like he just blew up all the, like, the little uh, conventional wisdom on how you have to run a campaign. And it, uh, so I don't know. All right, let's close with the Paul Vallis question. No ducking, no dodging, you know. And um, <laughs> oh, Lord, Miles, Chicago politics. So, all right, um, just to remind listeners. Uh, Paul Vallis uh, was the MAGA light man uh, that Northside liberals thought would be a good idea to elect as their mayor in 2023. It's almost been a year, uh, Miles. Isn't that wild since the first round of that uh, the mayoral election? Just damn time flies when you're having fun. Uh, and so uh, Northside liberals said, yeah, we want to elect Paul Vallis as our guy because he's got experience. Well, yeah. Uh, and the Chicago Tribune was like, yeah, elect Vallis. Uh, and I don't know if Crane's endorsed him. Who knows what Crane's did. Anyway, they are here or there. Uh, but mainstream Chicago was in love with him. Uh, Arnie Duncan fell in love with him. Richard Durbin fell in love with him. Jesse White fell in love with him. <laughs> Walter Burnett fell in love. Am I forgetting any Democrats? Uh, Tommy Tunney out of the 43rd Ward really fell in love with him. Uh, and they all like, but the problem was that he had this history miles of quote, I don't know, I'll use a euphemistic word, dabbling in Republican politics, like giving speeches to extreme right wingers, uh, or, or appear fundraisers or going on their talk shows and saying whacked out MAGA stuff. So it's sure. And at one point on a talk show saying, I am a Republican, you know, but he goes, no, I'm a lifelong Democrat. All right. And so all these like Durban types are like, yeah, he's a lifelong Democrat. Well, this story broke. And I want to thank you, listener, Frank, because you're the one who kept me up on it. He sent me the original uh, uh, text or tweet or whatever the hell it was, um, where the Republican Party of, of Chicago uh, sent out this and uh, this announcement. Welcome, Paul Vallis, exclamation point. And there's a picture of Paul Vallis. Monday, 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 January 29th, uh, former CPS CEO Paul Vallis will be our guest speaker for Chicago Republican Party fundraiser at Billy Goats. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so he's at a fundraiser, right? Uh, then uh, Paul Vallis responded uh, with a clarification, uh, classic Vallis where he said, um, he goes, uh, that that was a mistake. 
that he did not know that that was a Republican event. Here we go. Here's the exact uh, uh, in in the in the last week, I was asked to speak at a community forum. Unbeknownst to me, it was a GOP fundraiser and my name and likeness was used without my permission to promote the event. I will not be attending the the, the event. OK, oh, once again, isn't it funny how that happens with Paul Ballas? It's like he doesn't know uh, what the uh, uh, what the event was. The Republican Party has subsequently uh, responded, uh, Miles, with their own statement, which they got to Greg Pratt, uh, our good friend at the Tribune. And they, they say uh, that Ballas did know it was Republican Party fundraiser. <laughs> I got to hear you riff on this, man. Go ahead. This floor is yours, Miles. Did he know or did he not know that it was a Republican event, in your humble opinion? Go. Well, I'm glad to hear he's apologizing for that. I hope we get the apologies on, you know, carrying out a full, you know, Republican suite of policies, which has marked his entire political career, which from when he was Daly's budget director and carrying out austerity policies and nickel and diming, uh, working people across the city to, you know, fighting unions to carrying out this, you know, um, pure corporate education reform scheme in Chicago and Philadelphia uh, and New Orleans, of course, to, you know, running a complete law and order campaign, um, aligning himself with John Catanzaro and the FOP, you know, like that was his whole approach during the election. He ran as a Republican and he just kept saying he's a Democrat. And sadly, what this means, I think, is it's clear he's planning to run again as a Democrat. That's why he's distancing himself. He's setting himself up for some future run, which means we're going to be, you know, left with some more time of having to hear from Paul Vallis. But the fact is, Paul Vallis really never stopped running because the Tribune decided to give him a whole like editorial page in which to continue campaigning and basically as like some kind of like, you know, uh, uh, alternative mayor on the right who's just running against Johnson, but he's able to do it through the editorial page. So voters don't have to see how untelegenic he is on TV and how like awkward he is as a dude. Instead, he can just, you know, say whatever he wants. But I think this is I mean, very clear. We are not done politically with yeah. Paul Ballas running specifically in Chicago. That's why he wants to retain this view of himself as a Democrat. But he's clearly the most right wing type of Democrat you possibly could be. It's like the party affiliation doesn't matter when the policies you're running on that you're promoting that have made up your whole political career are um, extremely right wing. And yeah. I mean, there's no running from that. There's no denying that. And that's what, um, you know, when when these stories get reported on, I hope that there's some inclusion of that background as well. And not just a he said, she said thing with the, the you know, local Republican Party. Yeah, I uh that's a good rip. Yeah. Thank you, Greg Pratt, uh, for that uh, story. The clarification from the Republican Party. No, the clarification came from Ballas, and then the uh, uh, the response came to the Republican Party. Uh, all right, Miles, thank you very much. As always, uh, why don't you just give folks uh, the information where they can uh, read your stuff, uh, write you thought their thoughts, et cetera, and so forth. Take it away. Of course. Well, everybody should go to um, inthesetimes.com. Um, read uh, everything we got. We have a story up, as I mentioned, on the UAW um, endorsing Biden at the same time. They've uh, backed the ceasefire resolution as well. 
um, lots of different stories on what's happening in Israel and Gaza. We've got a um, story up on the Republican primaries as well, and um, one on a new um, toolkit out in California meant to help um, tenants uh, resist eviction, which is a really uh, interesting and helpful um article on the on the housing front um, but definitely also we're going to press this week on our next issue that's going to be excellent as a cover story on um, the, the politics around immigration in 2024 that features an interview with uh, representative Delia Ramirez it's really great so if you go to inthesetimes.com and subscribe um, you'll get that issue and you can also order back issues single issues all that stuff so um, yeah do that and uh, thanks for having me Ben all right, that's Miles Kempless, and uh, thank you very much. Also, want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job, and I'm sure Miles agrees with what I said. Hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always catch up on previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, read columns written by Ben Jarofsky, all at chicagoreader.com. Follow Ben on Instagram, at Benny J Show, and like, subscribe, and follow the Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.